This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life and Emergency Medicine. And it's editor-in-chief, the reigning champion of that new world game, Dr. Michelle Lin from UCSF. Hello, Michelle. Hey there, Mike. How did you know I play Wordle? I found, by the way, today who wrote an open access game of all the old Wordles. So I'm playing through all 200 plus of them today. So I got stuff to do after we're done recording. Reigning champion. I knew it. Today's episode will be an instant classic. It's February. Time to make those rank lists. We're going to discuss everything that is February about interview season. Love letters, second looks, and tips for conquering that pesky rank list. And to offer their sage advice on this important topic, we have three outstanding program directors. Dr. Bill Paolo from SUNY Upstate Medical Center. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. You know, for all the non-New Yorkers listening, it's SUNY Upstate, not Sunny. I grew up in upstate New York, and I take great offense at hearing it pronounced Sunny. If you're talking February in Syracuse, you're not Sunny. In fact, for all the winter, you're not Sunny. But yes, we're SUNY Upstate in Syracuse, New York. Dr. Michael Van Meter from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston McGovern Medical School. Hi, Michael. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Excited to chat about this. You know, things really are bigger in Texas, including the name of your program. Wow. (laughs) That was a mouthful. So from across the state line, though, is Dr. Emily Fisher from University of Oklahoma. Hi, Emily. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Michelle, friends of the show will recall that way back in 2015, we covered the hot topics of post-interview communication and making the perfect rank list. It's been a minute since those previous episodes. In fact, the students who listen to them are now attendings. I have more gray hair and time moves on. So I thought I'd do a remake today. A remake is the updating of a single film, often with lots of new cinematography and snazziness. Examples of remakes include Poltergeist, Annie, and Robocop. This is in contrast to a reboot, in which the chronology of an original story is reset each time, like with Batman and Spider-Man. We're not bending time here today, Michelle, so we're making a remake, not a reboot. There's also reimaginings and prequels and sequels, and we can cover those topics another time. Today, we're talking remake. And they say a remake is never as good as the original. However, today we're going to prove them wrong all in one. All right, let's get on to our topic of the day, the month of February. February is when all the interesting action happens in interview season. And ultimately, mics are dropped. I have a lot of questions about February for you guests. So let's get started with Dr. Bill Paolo from SUNY Upstate Medical Center. And I want to talk second looks. What's a second look and why would a student do one? So a second look is a good opportunity for somebody to go back to a program and really get those things that are intangible that you probably don't get when you interview with a group. Every emergency medicine program offers something really exceptional in terms of training, taking care of sick people, but each individual program has a slightly different culture to it, a different way of training, a different character, a different style, different values. Some of those may align with your own and some of them do not. And one of the best ways of immersing yourself is immersing yourself into a culture. And one of the best ways of doing that is by being present and being physically in person. And so a second look, if done well, is your ability to go back to a program, put some scrubs on and see what it's like on a day-to-day shift at a place that is no longer just interviewing you, but is functioning the way they do on a day-to-day basis. They sound amazing. Are they allowed this season? They're more discouraged this season. Uh, They're not really allowed this season in certain institutions. My institution strongly discourages them and probably forbids them, to be frank. Other institutions have been variable. 
in general, we've tried to limit the amount of people that we have in our emergency departments at a time that we're having difficulty taking care of the amount of respiratory pathogens we're currently seeing. So it's not an ideal time to do a second look, unfortunately. Was there any sort of edict from a governing board about this topic? Uh, the ACGME has put out some guidance regarding this. I think we'll be able to link to that. But essentially, they state that it's strongly discouraged with the spread of Delta and then the subsequent Omicron surge for people to spend more time in emergency departments that they don't need to. Okay, so these second looks sound amazing, and the match 2023 students will certainly benefit from them, but the match 2022 students cannot, so they can't do a second look. So how do they get the same cultural information that you described? That's a great question. Most programs probably set something up for you, maybe a dinner, a Zoom dinner, as it were, the night before, something where you really can take time and spend time talking to people and really picking their brain. You find a lot more about people, I think, when you're sitting down breaking bread with them than you do when you're sitting at a kind of formal interview process where everything is very artificial. So some of the things to take advantage of are spending as much time with the residents and asking questions as you can. Certain places will more imbue those values that you want to find, and you'll find that by talking with people. What do they love about the program? What do they hate about it? Are they honest with you? Do they tell you what they hate about the program? No program is perfect. If they're all mum about it, I kind of worry. If everybody's like, we're all happy here, then I think something is probably astray. All kidding aside, what I think people need to do is really find places that want to speak honestly and openly about what they do well, what they're working on, and what their mission is, and how you would fit into that mission. All right. I don't want to freak out the audience and imply that every student needs to go do a second look or whatever pandemic equivalent there is. Who, who should really do a second look? Are there students that really benefit from this compared to others? Yeah, I think a second look is really good when you're between a couple of programs. So you've narrowed it down to two. And they're pretty much equal to one another. You see same things, you know, they have a similar volume of trauma. Maybe there's researcher X that you're interested in both programs. You want to be a future toxicologist and both programs have excellent toxicologists. And when you're on your spreadsheet and making your parameters, you look and you say, actually, these are really similar, but something must be different. So immersing yourself in that is sometimes easy to give you that thing that we as advisors struggle which is that feeling that you get when you just found your program. It's hard to capture. It's hard for me to really put down on a piece of paper, but there is something where you feel like I found my people. I found the group I want to train with. I see the values I want. I can give myself a narrative while I'm here and say, this is why I do this job. And this is why I'm so happy to come into work every day with these people. And that is what a second look really at its best does. And you should see the warts of a place too. What do they do poorly? Maybe they're doing psych boarding like crazy. I'm sure some program out there doesn't do that. If you find that program, please email this panel and let us know because we'd be interested in going to that program. But there are going to be things that programs do better than others. And some programs do something worse than others. So what you're doing is you're finding that mix. And I don't want to say there's a Goldilocks thing because there's no perfect programs, but you're finding the flaws that you can live with. I like that, the flaws that you can live with. So the whole description there is about the student really trying to differentiate between their final top programs. At, at no point did you say that it advantages the student in terms of how they're going to get ranked. Is that right? I think so. Program directors are very idiosyncratic. So everybody's a little bit different. So in general, most of the program directors that I've talked to haven't said that second looks have made much of a difference in terms of positive or negative. Those that do find it to be a positive and certainly have never seen much negative unless you come in disheveled and unprofessional. How do you do good at emergency medicine? You show up early, you stay late, and you treat the patients and nurses with respect. That's what you have to do to do good and do good on a second look. So for the most part, most program directors, I do not think put much weight into a second look. That said, I certainly want to say that all program directors are a little bit different and everybody has their own warm, fuzzy blanket things that they like to see. 
So some programs certainly may love to see that you're really interested and you sent a letter and did a second look. I can speak for myself and say for my program and for me, it does not matter as much. You took the time to spend money and take out your loans to take a trip to come to sunny Syracuse. I certainly consider that to be as important to me and showing that initiative as it would be if you came back to do a second look. So at least for me as a program director, I consider second looks to be for the applicant more than for me. All right. Well, let's do a yes, no for the whole panel. For the program that you matched at, did you do a second look? I'm going to start. I did not. Bill. I did not. Emily. I did not. Mike. I did not. Michelle. It was forever ago, but no. All right. So there you go. Five attendings all doing okay. None of us did a second look. So I think that's very instructive. Bill, is your program doing a second look program this year? Do you have a process? Yeah, we're not doing one this year. Really? <laughs> we're really no, not. Version. no, not even a secret version. We're really keeping people away. In the Northeast, we've spiked pretty hard right now. We want as many people out of our emergency department as we can. So we're being very particular about who comes into our very crowded uh, emergency department. All right. Rule followers. I hear your rule followers. <laughs> How about others? Have you heard of any creative ways? You have to name the programs, but any creative ways that programs are trying to provide this second look and still meet COVID requirements? I haven't. The few programs that I know that do offer are essentially come in wearing an N95 and a face shield and be as careful as possible. And that's the only thing that I've kind of heard out there. Just do what you do, what you normally do, but wear more PPE and change it more often is kind of what I've heard when it comes to second looks. All right. I love it. So let's close with your favorite TV show or movie remake. Which one was it and why? All right. I think a remake, like it's like a cover song. It has to respect the original, but surpass it in some way. And to me, the all-time greatest remake is 1981's The Thing by John Carpenter. I don't think there's any movie that does more totally telling you it's a completely different film by updating special effects and being, quite honestly, a perfect film than The Thing. And so my answer to that is The Thing. I, also I love like that analogy to a, a cover song. I think that's awesome. I've never heard that before. That's great. Let's switch gears and talk with Dr. Van Meter from UT Houston about post-interview communication. What is post-interview communication, Dr. I think it's fair to make a blanket statement that says any communication after the interview. And I, I would maybe also editorialize that to say that that's just a continuation of the interview, or you should view it that way. But any communication whatsoever. Email is probably the, the go-to for most of us. So how about some real examples of post-interview communication? What kinds of things can a student do to talk with a program after interview? Yeah, so I think... Programs will oftentimes give some guidance on this. I think maybe during the interview day or towards the end of the interview day, I would adhere to that program's guidance. They're telling you that for a reason. If they don't say anything though, which is probably the majority of programs out there, I think it's very reasonable to reach out to a program. It's done the majority of times. Like I said, usually in the form of an email, it's emergency medicine. So short and sweet, do not include a personal statement length novella on why you love the program. Respecting the context of the interview season for programs and program directors is important. Shows emotional IQ that, that we're also looking for in emergency medicine. So short and sweet to the point, email is probably the way to go. If you have specific questions, you can ask to speak to specific people about those. That's a very reasonable thing and definitely not something that is frowned upon if you're really looking to kind of figure things out with regard to an individual program, especially with regard to this year where, where second looks are not an option. So you said that follow the rules of the program, what they tell you on interview day. So that means some programs allow post interview communication and some don't allow post interview communication. So why do programs do that? Like what's the strategic choice for a program to do one or the other? 
I think most programs are going to, at least, I, and this is maybe me projecting a bit, but we're trying to make our opinion as solid as possible the day of. And so I think that that's the ideal and that's the goal because things can start to get a little bit fuzzy as you move away from an interview day. The idea there is that any communication after the fact shouldn't necessarily impact that. We want to make sure that we're doing right by the applicants and vice versa. And so we don't want people to feel like they have to posture or, you know, put themselves out there or, you know, love letter and spend a tremendous amount of time doing this when it's not necessarily going to change anything after the day. So I think maybe that's the overriding sentiment there for some programs to say, no need to do this. And we're just going to nip this in the bud. And just, I've heard of a program out there that won't even open if it's in the mail or if it's if it's an email from an applicant, they just, it goes into a, a junk folder and they don't touch it. I think that's the exception to the rule. I think the vast majority will open it, enjoy whatever it is that you wrote, but also, and there's some evidence there to back up that the vast majority of time won't change a rank list. Although there's, there's always a chance. And I think that's the rub there in, and I think that's why students still feel compelled to do this the vast majority of the time. And it's actually been surveyed and studied. And I want to say, gosh, was this a, I think it was in the Journal of Graduate Medical Education in 2016. There was a survey. This was, this was though across multiple different specialties, so not just emergency medicine, mm-hmm. but 5.2% of program directors reported they always or usually move applicants up their rank order list after they promised to be ranked number one. That was actually surprising to me. I didn't think it would be quite that high. So I think that that little nugget of information is why I think we won't be getting away from this anytime soon. I think it's fascinating that it's only 5%, honestly. I mean, I was a program director for years, right? And if somebody told me they're ranking me number one, there's no way that I didn't stare at their name on my rank list just a little bit longer. And, you know, I would think in my experience, you know, I'm curious what, what you do or what you think about this. I had my top group of students who were guaranteed to match. It didn't really matter if they said, number one, I wasn't going to really move them around anyway. And then I had the cliff where you fell off the cliff and there's no chance that you're going to match my program. And then I had the secret sauce in in the middle. Like I could get any of these kids on any particular year. You know, it's just how the match gods work. So in that area, in that gray area, the rank really matters. If I had a a student I knew wanted to come to my program and I hadn't heard from the people above, I'm like, maybe I would just say, I'd rather have the student who I know wants to come. You don't think that behavior is out there. You think 5% is, is the real I mean, it's definitely out there. And I think that you're right. I was still surprised by it because it's something that I know that I would imagine we're all tempted by. It's just human nature and psychology. I actively work myself out of it. I try to. And so, you know, do I have bias and have I done that? I'm sure I've been influenced by it to some extent, but I usually, what I try to find is I am solidified in whatever decision I made. And if I'm not, then I probably didn't spend enough time on that particular applicant before. Mm is kind of the way I look at it. So, but that's that's also just my end of one. The interesting yeah. thing is though, in some of these surveys that have been published over the last decade or so, is the dichotomy in reporting. And that goes for, for example, when a program tells an applicant that they're going to be highly ranked or that they're going to be ranked number one, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 18% of applicants reported that that didn't hold true because they ranked them number one and didn't match there. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side is also true in the, in the two-way street that we have. So I think that probably not to get too far, I guess, afield, but that probably just means you should still be taking this with a bit of a grain of salt, both programs and applicants. And you kind of have to fall back on ranking with all of the tangibles, intangibles ahead of time, ahead of any post-interview communication, unless that post-interview communication is a second look or a way of really ironing out the detail that you don't have firmed up yourself yet. And I think beyond that, you have to put 
the influence that this naturally has on us all on the back burner. Yeah. You know, I always thought if I'm going to hang out with you for three or four years, maybe we should date a little bit. Like, it's okay if we chat more than once. That's okay. All's fair in love and war, right? But yeah, I definitely have heard many of the the horror stories of someone saying that the program director told me I'm number one. And I you know I often think perhaps those were were misinterpreted messages. I don't know many programs that would ever say I'm ranking you number one and then go back on that. I mean, it's usually the I'm ranking you very highly comment. So maybe break that down for me. So there's in my mind, there's several post-generated communications, right? There's the thank you letter, this is generic thank you. It's being polite. But then there's the I'm ranking you highly and I'm ranking you number one. Break that down for me. What is the difference and why might one do that? Yeah. I think if you're going to use the language, I'm ranking you first, or I'm ranking you number one, that should be something that is 100% true. Now, are you going to get caught out and found out? I can imagine a Swiss cheese scenario where somehow we figure that out, but it's highly unlikely. Although I will say it would absolutely rub me the wrong way. And I would probably, you would plummet, maybe even get a DNR from me if, if I found out about it somehow. Am I going fishing for that? No, but it's just sort of a you know a useless lie. Why would you represent that in that way? So it sort of makes me question a lot of other stuff about you too. So there's that. The other side of it is in some of the survey data as well, applicants will say if they get any wind that a program is being disingenuous about the communication about a program ranking them, that does the same thing for the applicant. And I think mm-hmm. that's fair. And the program plummets down their rank list if it stays on the rank list. So I think if you're going to use the that that specific language, it should be honest and it should be genuine and true for both programs and for applicants. And it's it's worth noting that it is a match violation to sort of try to solicit any reciprocity in that communication. It should just be, maybe we think you're a great fit or this is the program I'm looking for, that sort of thing. That's the match violation. I think lots of people think you can't send these numbers, like I'm ranking you number one or I'm ranking high. The match violations, I can't coerce you into telling me where you're ranking me, nor do I promise to rank you, you know, a certain number if you rank me a certain number. It's this the quid pro quo part of it. But you know, you're more than welcome to tell a program that you're ranking the number one, that that in and of itself is not a, a violation. I'll tell you that my story. So I used to compare my rank lists with some of the other program directors who I knew had a lot of the same students interviewing. It really was done out of a genuine good intention. We would compare and just be like, oh, I didn't like that candidate on a particular day. And I would take a second look at that person and think, well, wow, they really Everybody else loved him except me. I must have missed something on interview day. So it was done, you know, to kind of capture those students. And I had one year where a woman did tell me I'm ranking number one and told three other program directors they rank and it became comical. So you said, you know, would you DNR, do not rank that person? I, of course, had to RCO them, rank for curiosity only because I wanted to know who ended up with her. But anyway, the program directors do, uh, they do talk. So the students should be aware of that. You know, I also, I'll say for the thank you notes, all these programs who don't open them, et cetera. I remember being at a CORD meeting once where a program director from a program in the Southeast uh, stood up in the middle of the CORD meeting talking about this particular topic and said, I'm a old-fashioned Southern woman, and if I invite you to dinner at my house, you better send me a thank you note. And I thought that was really interesting too, like what the expectation of certain program directors might be. Yeah, no, and I think that just underscores the good Dr. Paolo's comment that every, all of us have our idiosyncrasies, and I think that's a fair assumption too. And I've definitely heard a similar comment before. For example, for me personally, don't look or track the love letters um, and don't have a spreadsheet that says you did or didn't send me one. And and then just to, to get to that last bit there where we say, you know, I'm ranking you highly, or I felt like I was a great fit there, where it's not a discrete number one. I think those are fine. And again, short and sweet and to the point. And 
they'll be less impactful with regard to influence. But at the same time, I don't think that that will in any way hurt an application. So just something else to consider. I'm ranking you highly instead of them. I'm ranking number one. It certainly never hurt an applicant, but you know, it certainly doesn't help. Like knowing you're somebody's second choice prom date, like I don't know that that really helps you feel good about that match. So That's I never true. saw the point of it, but uh, <laughs> but you know, certainly you can do it if if you like. All right, so that was really uh, chock full of great information. So thank you. Before we leave you, what is your favorite TV show or movie remake, and why? I struggle with this one. So I, I, I think I got confused with all of the different definitions of remake, reboot. It's very complicated. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So I've got some more studying to do on that front. But I think I'm going to see if this passes muster. I'm going to go with Lord of the Rings because there was an animated full-length feature mm-hmm. back in like the early, I think it might have been in the late 70s, but I saw it in the early 80s. I love it. All right, Lord right. of the Rings. That's great. Awesome. So Dr. Fisher, you're going to take us home with a discussion of the most interesting part of February, rank order lists. So I'm saving the best for last. Just in general, what are these things due this year? So rank lists are due for both programs and applicants on March 2nd by 9 p.m. Eastern time is the deadline. I don't recommend anyone goes right to that deadline because you can certify before that. You can certify as many different times as you want to. I typically certify my own list about 100 different times starting as soon as it's available, but it is due by the evening of March 2nd. Yeah, I used to certify really early because I thought, well, what if I die in the middle of February? How will the chair know who should go first and who should go second? So I always used to do it as soon as possible. I changed my rank order list. The top three programs I changed numerous times on the actual day it was due you know, right up until the last minute. So I think those changes, they, they can be tough for folks. So getting it done maybe a little earlier than that is appropriate. Um, why are these the same day for programs and applicants? Why is that? I honestly don't know. It. Do you have any idea why they're the same day? I, I assume know. just because that's when the online algorithm starts working. And so there would be no utility to having people certify at different times. But I've I've never thought thought about that before. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it protects the students somehow or protects the program somehow. There must be some sort of reason it happens. But all right. Uh, other panelists, do you guys know? Why, why is it the same day? Curious. You know, my guess is that everything is hackable. So why have potential confidential information out there that one group can hack over the other? Get them all in at the same time. I agree. All right. I agree. Okay. So Dr. Fisher, a student asks for your help making her rank list. How do you counsel her? What is your approach? So this is a really great question. And it's also such a personal answer that, you know, for each individual student, the answer might be a little bit different. I think to give yourself enough time to really sit through and go through that list without distractions to really make some some plans based on what you value most, start with what's easiest. So maybe for you, it's easiest to do the bottom of the list first or the top of the list first and start with that. And then get into the meat of it because it really is every single spot on that list is important because you might go to your first choice, you might end up on your third choice. And regardless of of where you end up, you want to make sure that you feel confident in the decisions that you made. I think it's it's really important also to recognize that there's no one right answer. There's no one right program, right? You could be happy at really any number of programs and your perfect program might be different than someone else's perfect program. So you can't compare yourself to your classmates. It really is an individual decision. And you know, making that decision in isolation of all of the other noise around you is really important because the real important question is what's going to make you the happiest? Where are you going to get the best education? Where do you fit in the best, not necessarily where your colleague would fit in the best or you know what feels the most prestigious or, or any other question. It's really what's best for you, Jewel. 
All right. I love that. That's great advice. Who, who should help students with this task? Is it really just us? Are there other faculty members? And then even more importantly, who should not be helping the students with this task? So that's a really great question. So I think if someone's advising you on your rank list, it should be someone that knows you well and that you really feel like is 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 on your side. So not necessarily the person with the most exposure in the department or the, the highest ranking person that you can get to advise you, but someone that really knows you as a person and respects your viewpoint and, and kind of where you want to be. If you have significant others who are affected by the decision, including them, and that decision is also extremely important because obviously it affects them you know, just as much as it affects you. You know, I would avoid getting advice from people who might not know you well or might not, you know, listen to what to what your values are and what where you want to be. Some people outside of the emergency medicine field might struggle to provide you with advice that's really appropriate in, in, in emergency medicine. So it could be someone at your institution that's really wonderful with students, but might, might not know emergency medicine very well. And that's also probably not a great person to be advising you. Ultimately, anyone giving you advice should be soliciting your opinions about these programs more than giving their feelings about them, frankly, because really figuring out where you would be happiest and where you fit in in terms of your goals, whether that, you know, maybe you have fellowship goals that certain programs can really foster well, or you have, you know, regional connections that might be really important to you. Whatever is important to you is what should be the most important in making that list. So you want to make sure it's someone that's really willing to take the time to listen to what you want, not just kind of tell you what they think you should want. Yeah, your uncle, the orthopedic surgeon, really has no idea how to make that list. So I, I fully agree. With you. Do you have any other like final tips for students when making their rank lists? Yeah, I think ultimately making your rank list is such a personal decision and, and no one really can make it for you. Prioritize really what's going to make you happy and what really fits with your value system. So um, what do you want in a program? Is it you want to be somewhere with really high patient acuity? You want to be somewhere that has a toxicology fellowship, you know, what is it that's really important to you and make sure you prioritize that in your list. And that can be a really hard, that can be really hard to answer for, for applicants. Cause you know, we've spent so long just kind of like working towards the finish line and not always asking ourselves what it is that I need or I want. This is really a time to be selfish. And I don't mean selfish and not considering like the people around you, like if your couple's matching or bringing a significant other with you, but I mean, selfish in terms of valuing you know, what's going to make you the best doctor, you the happiest resident, you know, you and your family or partner, whoever else might be involved in that decision, the happiest family partner, whatever that group might be, rather than just focusing on what you might feel is the most prestigious decision or like the right decision. You want to do what's best for you and, and, and your immediate circle. I like that. It's like a fingerprint, right? It could be the same list of programs, two different students, but they'll rank them completely differently. I like that. All right, but now let's have some fun. And well, we're going to pull back the curtain. I want to know how how you make the OU program rank list. Like what are your super secrets? Tell us all. So, you know, I feel like most programs go about this pretty similarly, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we really rank people immediately after they interview with us. Um, and that's, I think, another reason why those thank you notes don't play as big of a role as you might think they would, because you're already ranked before we would possibly get a thank you note. So we put people on our rank list immediately because that's when you're freshest in our minds and we're going to remember your interview the most strongly. I always make lots of notes for my faculty about all the comments and all the conversations. And just so that when we go back and look at the list at the end, we can really remember, you know, different details about people's interviews and, and you know, what, what we found important at the time. 
And then at the end of interview season, we do go back as a whole and look through the list as a group and just kind of make sure everything makes sense. Because sometimes as you go through interview season, where you end up putting people on the list might get get harder or easier. And you want to go through and make sure your list as a whole makes sense by the end of interview. And so that's sort of the, the gist of it. You know, I... I'm also in agreement that some of that post-interview communication is not as, as relevant to me. And, and I do tell all of our applicants that, that I like to be true to the spirit of the match. Um, and to me, the spirit of the match is we rank people based on um, how strong an applicant I think they are, how well they fit in here and how, you know, how happy they'd be here does certainly play some role in it. But ultimately, I like to try to make my rank list in isolation of any of that post-interview communication. That's sort of the meat and potatoes of how we make our list. That's good. That's pulling back the curtain. I I mean, I think it's interesting you do it on the actual day that they interview before you go home from work that day. But if the second looks, come on, they don't, they don't matter. Come on, tell the truth. I think any residency program wants to know that they're matching a group of people that will be happy to be here. And so I think that's the impact that it could have is, you know, that someone actually is interested in your program and wants to be there. And, and that's nice to know, but ultimately I think in keeping with what you said earlier, you know, you're not going to change what area of the rank list you're on, right? Like your top students are going to be your top students. Students are going to be the bottom students. Potentially for someone in the middle, if they voice significant interest and in like, I guess there could be a chance someone could move a little bit, but I, I don't think it's any movement that would be substantial or, or make really a difference to the, the class that we're matching. All right. I was trying to get secrets out of you, but I, I agree. <laughs> I like that. Uh, all right. So what is your favorite TV show or movie remake and why? Okay, this is a great question. And I had to think a lot about it because I have two small children. And so I don't watch a lot of movies or TV right now. But I'm going to go with Battlestar Galactica, which is a super awesome show. And the reason I'm choosing it and the reason I think I loved it so much is I love shows with strong female characters. And it has such wonderful, strong female characters. And it's just a really awesome show. Well played. Well played. I like that one. I like that. Michelle, what's your favorite TV show or movie remake? Well, I thought that people were going to say this because it is so mainstream and so current. And you know my love of travel, right? I have never been to the country of Jordan. And so when I saw this film, can you guess what it is? Dune. That cinematic desert, you know, the ocean landscapes of Norway. Oh, that was one of the films that really made me feel like I wanted to travel, especially during this pandemic era. I was completely hooked on Dune. Did you know... We're both in the Bay Area. There were restaurants that had special Dune menus where you could order food from the movie and have it delivered to your house to watch it. No, I, mean, I missed yeah, it. Yeah, it took away the, like going to the movie theater. Uh, I need to reboot and redo the timeline again and go back to that time. Oh, nice, nice. That was well played there too <laughs> thank as well. You, thank you. <laughs> Do you have any final questions for our panelists? You know, I don't have any final questions. I love that you have this topic of post-interview communications because... You know how the pandemic is. Communication is so tough. People are just not used to talking with each other that I'm glad we reviewed some of these mechanics. I don't have any questions. I just want to thank this program director community for for all they do in investing in the future of emergency medicine. Because look, you're covering shifts during a pandemic and yet you spend time with the uh, applicants to ensure that our residencies continue on. So thank you so much for all that you do. All right. That's a good note to end on. So let's do our free commercials, Michelle, we're going to do a a tell me something I don't know about your program for each of our three esteemed panelists. And we'll start with Dr. Paolo. Tell me something I don't know about SUNY Upstate Medical Center. We're the third busiest trauma center in the state of New York. We're the only other poison control center in the entire state of New York, other than my alma mater, NYU Bellevue, at New York Poison Control Center. So New York State has two poison control centers, and we're one of them. That's awesome. Third busiest trauma center in the state? 
That's amazing. I didn't know that. All right. So that was something I didn't know about your program. Students, check out SUNY Upstate. Dr. Paolo is like program director of the year all the time. So uh, definitely check out that program. And Dr. Van Meter, tell me something I don't know about UT Houston. We're actually the busiest level one trauma center in the country. And I don't know that that necessarily always precedes us. I will say though, that, that that's a nice soundbite, but I think we've got a lot of other cool things built on that platform, a deep commitment to the underserved. We're based out of our, we have sort of a two training site program for primary training sites. And, and one of them is truly one of uh, Houston's critical access hospitals. So that very much underscores that part of us, social medicine part of us in a population health focus. And then we're also really, I think, making some big inroads into pre-hospital. So we've got a stroke ambulance. There's Life Flight is our the busiest aeromedical service in the country. Actually, the helipad on our roof is the busiest in the Western Hemisphere. So it's definitely a, a fun place to work from that perspective. And we're actually starting just inkling of a... Of a thing, but it's moving forward for a pre-hospital ECMO unit and now even aerospace. So I think a lot of that activity is we're, we're branching out into the world as well. So fun place to work. Those are some amazing stats. Things are bigger in Texas. I fully believe <laughs> that. So students check out UT Houston. They have an amazing program, lots going on, a faculty with a very deep bench and a really great program. To and then finally, Dr. Fisher, tell me something I don't know about the University of Oklahoma. So what I think would really amaze a lot of people about our program, because, you know, a lot of people just don't know a lot about Tulsa or about Oklahoma, um, is just how high our patient acuity is here. So I trained in Chicago. I trained at a big name program in Chicago and, you know, did residency at Cook County Hospital in Chicago and, you know, really loved all of my experiences there. But the patient acuity here is just exceptional. You know, because of that, our procedure numbers are like through the roof, like our interns are exceeding all the required procedure numbers. You know, we are kind of in the middle of a huge area surrounded by lots of critical access hospitals. And there's not, you know, there's not a hospital in every street corner like you might find in other cities. Um, and because of that, our patients are very sick. Our residents are extremely capable and competent at managing critically ill patients. And I, I think that's really an exceptional part of our training program. Also, for whatever it's worth, Tulsa is an absolutely amazing city and something that I think people might not expect how great it is here. You know, I moved here from Chicago. We moved here for my husband's job and really knew nothing about it. He's originally from Chicago. I lived in Chicago for eight years before coming here. And we like really would not have come here if it hadn't been for his job. Job. And we have just been blown away with how wonderful it is. Like the cost of living here is amazing. It really has all of the amenities that you would want in a big city. And you can just afford to live here on, you know, on a resident salary so comfortably. And it's to the point where people, you know, people just don't want to leave afterwards. So we have so many residents end up staying in Oklahoma who maybe didn't plan on staying here. And, you know, it's, it's really a great place. All right, students, every large referral hospital always has lots and lots of procedures. So that uh, sounds like a great place to go and train. Check out University of Oklahoma. Michelle, we're done for the day. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Allium's YouTube channel. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Allium.com and in the publication, A User's Guide to the Allium EM Match Advice Series in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on Allium.com. Thanks for joining us.